Just wanted to welcome all of you here today. I know it's Labor Day weekend. There's a lot of people just gone for, um, for the weekend. And I just wanted to extend my personal thanks that you are here spending a part of your weekend uh, with us, worshiping the Lord. And I hope that God speaks to you through his word today, uh, through fellowship and through song. Uh, we are at the halfway point officially of the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through, we went through half of Mark together. How's it been? I don't know. Yeah, it's good. I love going through the Gospels. Uh, I love the whole Bible, but I have a special place in my heart for the Gospels. Just the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. Um, it sometimes feels like a lot of Christian focus can sometimes be on the birth, you know, uh, Christmas and death, Easter of Jesus, and rightfully so. Those are a big deal. Um, but one of the reasons I love and feel so refreshed by the Gospels is because we, in addition to seeing those two things, we also see his life. We see things that he said and did and things that he didn't do and all sorts of stuff. And um, for those of us that want to live the life of Jesus, uh, this is a refreshing take, is to look at what Mark shows us from his life. And so we're going to read the first 10 uh, verses together from Mark chapter 8. And this is a, a very familiar story. And so we'll start in verse 1. We'll read all of it. I'll preach it. We'll respond with song. It says, In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to him, uh, said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him and said, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And Jesus asked them, well, how many loaves do you have? And he, they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, Jesus said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Del Manutha. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Great story here. Um, uh, I forgot to say, uh, this is a family service, so we're going to have our kids just all around. My kids are going to be back there just shouting. Um, but I'll be shouting, too, because I haven't preached in a month, and I got a fire in me this morning. So... I think, uh, I think it'll balance out, Pastor G, right? Uh, listen, uh, <clears throat> let's talk about this story, and let's talk about Jesus, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. Uh, if you were here, I think it was a couple months ago, we actually read this story. Uh, a, not this story, but a similar story. It was in Mark chapter 6, and it was the feeding of the 6, 000, uh, 5,000. Now we're reading the story of the feeding of the 4,000. There's a lot of opinions on this. Some people are like, is this a doublet? Like, is, is Mark just going back to that same account and trying to pull out other stuff? That, that could be something other people are like, no, this is a completely different story. And that's where I would fall. I think there's a lot of different details here. It's not the feeding of the 5,000. It's the feeding of the 4,000. There's a different amount of loaves. There's a diff it's in a different place. 
And I think it's pretty self-explanatory because there were probably a lot of times that Jesus did a similar thing over and over. One of my favorite examples is the Sermon on the Mount. Like, this is a classic sermon that we see in Matthew chapter 3, sorry, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Well, we also see a slightly different version of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Luke. He probably had that sermon in the bag as he went around teaching about the kingdom of God, and that's probably a rough template of what he preached. He probably fed a lot of groups of thousands of people with a bunch of loaves of bread. He probably cast out a lot of demons. And so what we have in the Bible, specifically the Gospels, is the Gospel writers having to select what they're going to show you. I love how John, the gospel writer, at the end of his book, he actually says, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus did. Uh, I'm just showing you these signs, these seven, so that you have enough to know that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And so that's what we have here with Mark, I believe. Mark saw fit to show us another scene in which Jesus fed miraculously thousands of people because he wants us to come away with something about God and us. And here's what I think he wants us to see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these off in three points, and here's the first point. I think God wants you to know that he sees you when you're running on empty. That's the big takeaway I, I'm, I'm getting from this passage. God sees when you're running on empty. Let me just read the first three verses for us. It says, in those days... When again, a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Don't you just love that phrase? He tells his disciples, I have compassion on the crowd. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to the homes... They will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. I just, I just want us to pause for a moment as we maybe are so used to the activity of Jesus Christ, healing the sick, yes, preaching the good news, yes, moving from city to city and place to place. Does it, does it stop anyone dead in their tracks to see this guy, the king of the universe, stop himself pause himself and just marinate in the fact that a crowd is hurting. The guy who's going to save the world, he just stops and he's like, they have nothing to eat. He's almost being present with them in the moment. Present with something he certainly can solve. God sees when you're running on empty. He sees when you are lacking. And he sees this crowd that they have been with him for three days and have nothing to eat. And that if he does send them away to their homes before he moves on, they'll faint, they'll pass out. I think this is incredible because what we see anytime we read a story about Jesus is a picture of what God is like. I got two kids, Abby and Jude. It's like the Beatles songs, if that helps you remember their names. And Jude uh, just turned seven. And he's been asking me questions about God. And some of those questions, you know, as we're praying, right, buddy? He's like, in the back over there looking at me like, what are you doing talking about me in the sermon? 
sometimes the questions my kids will ask will usually be along the lines of like, hey, I, I pray to God, but how do I know if he's answering me or if he hears what I said and I've never seen him before, what's God look like? And I found that sometimes the answer to that is helpful not just for kids, but for adults as well. You wanna know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. The disciples, I think it was Philip in John chapter 14, verse nine, actually asks Jesus, hey, when are you gonna reveal the Father to us? We wanna see him, we wanna see God. And Jesus stops him and says, Philip, you've been with me all this time and you still don't get it. When you see me, you've seen the Father. You wanna know what God is like? Read through the Gospel of Mark. Encounter and experience this man, Jesus Christ, and you'll get a picture of what he's like. And we see it right here. God is compassionate on people who are running on empty. How do we know that? Because Jesus, the Son of God, is. And Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus has compassion. He doesn't just see you in the plight that you're experiencing right now. It says that Jesus has compassion. He has compassion for the weak and tired. Now, I love that word because the, the, the word that Mark uses gets a lot deeper than maybe the English word that we use. It's the Greek word, splachnizomai. Okay, you try it. Say it. Anyway, it means to be moved. That was a good, that was a good first try. It means literally to be moved in one's bowels, your intestines. This is the word he's using. It means to be moved in your intestines. Now, when I I first hear that, I'm like, the first visual I see is like one of you making a beeline to the bathroom, right? But you have to understand, like in the ancient Greece, uh, they understood the bowels to be the seed of love and pity. And we still use that type of um, metaphor to describe when we feel something deeply. We say we felt it in our gut, right, Dodie? We, we, f- we feel it in our heart. When something hurts us, we describe it as heartache. And we're not talking about acid reflux, right? We're, we're, using, we're using visuals that people have understood for centuries to reveal something deep inside us. And this is the word that Mark uses to describe Jesus as he looks upon a crowd that's running on empty. Before he does anything, he's moved in his gut. And the reason that he's moved, he actually tells the disciples the reason. He says in verse three, look at verse three, if I send them away hungry to their homes, then they will faint on the way. It's classic if-then statement. If I send them away, they will faint uh, on their way to their homes. Uh, as an aside, I just want to point out in I think it's in verse verse two. It says that the crowd had been with Jesus for three days, not eating. What, what do you think they were doing for three days? Well, they were probably spending time with Jesus. He was probably teaching them every now and then. Maybe he healed the sick. I don't know what he was doing. All I know is that the crowd saw something in Jesus that was worth hanging out with them without food for three days. This is why, in reality, we're so concerned with getting people before Jesus. So concerned with people just seeing Jesus 
whether it's asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you or talking a lot about Jesus or doing practices that form us into the person of Jesus, we're just like, man. As Paul would say to the Colossians, all wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ Jesus. Everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness hidden in Christ Jesus. And enough for a crowd to go for three days to sit at his feet without food. And now, back to our text. It's good enough for them. I want to sit at his feet too, amen? This crowd is running on empty, and I say this because perhaps some of you are too. Not perhaps. I know some of you are. I know some of you. I know a lot of you. I've heard your stories, either directly or through hearsay. It's not just this crowd that's empty. Some of you are running on fumes too. And Jesus' assumption here is that you need fuel to get where you're going. He's not the kind of God that just says, hey, save the world, be a good Christian, go out there, work for justice, be righteous, and I'll see you when you get back. He actually turns to his disciples and says, we cannot send them away without food. If I send them away, hungry to their homes, then they will faint. Brothers and sisters, you were not meant to run on empty. And signing up for following Jesus, signing up for the Christian life, does not, also, does not then mean that you're to live a life running on empty. Is there sacrifice involved in following Jesus? Yes. Is there going to be challenge involved in following Jesus? Yes. Are you going to encounter suffering? Yes. Are there going to be moments, dark nights of the soul, where you question your faith and you question God and you question everything? Probably. But does God promise to sustain you through all of it? Absolutely. You were not ordained by God to run on an empty tank. But many of us are. And I want you to practice. I love that Jesus basically uses like this if-then statement. If I do this, then this will happen. I want us to do that as well. In fact, I stuck a simple one on the screen. I think it's there. I just want you to fill this out for yourself. Oh, my, there it is. If, I want you to fill in your own action. If I continue to do this, then this outcome will happen. And you don't have to tell me this. I just want you to practice this. This is just a, a, a moment of self-awareness. If I continue to do this. Now, this is a moment for us to take personal responsibility, right? Don't put in here, if that person keeps bugging me. <laughs> or unless this person changes. This is a moment for me, Chris Lazo, to say, if I continue to do this, or live my life this way, or do that, or be in relationship in this way, then this is going to happen. I want us to face it. How are you running on vapors today? How are you running on empty? Now, if you've filled that out either on paper or in your mind, I want you to acknowledge if that's true. If you continue to do such and such, then this poor outcome will happen. Now, 
As you're looking at that statement, as you're pondering it, as you're thinking about it, I want you to tell yourself this. Jesus has compassion on you. Jesus has compassion. I want you to say it to yourself. Jesus has compassion on me. Anyone want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. What was Jesus like? He was so compassionate, he felt it in his gut. What does he think towards you in your moment of lack? He has compassion towards you. Compassion. And he doesn't want you to continue to run on empty. Now, here's where the second part of the problem comes. We just saw in the text, God sees the crowd when they're running on empty. He sees you when you're running on empty. But some of us don't want to run on empty anymore. We want to fix it. But the problem for many of us, maybe you can resonate with this, is that sometimes, this is my second point, sometimes you don't have enough to keep going. You might have filled out that if-then statement, and you're like, yes, that's exactly what's destroying me right now, but I can't change it. Maybe you put in there, my job. (laughs) If I continue in this job, I will burn out. But then you're like, yeah, but I need to pay rent. (laughs) Or maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's like, I can't reconcile with my mom or my dad or my son. Then you're like, yeah, but... (laughs) Can't really change that, can I? And the list might be endless. Whatever it is for you, maybe you're looking at that statement that you just made. You're like, I cannot, I I can't fix this. Sometimes you won't have enough to keep going, and maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe it was all you could do to show up to church this morning. You're like, I'm giving it one more chance. This is my last hurrah, this is my Hail Mary. And you would say, yes, Chris, I, I don't have enough to keep going. Maybe you can find some solidarity with the disciples who also felt that way. Look at verse 4 and 5. His disciples answered him, right? He gave them the if-then statement. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And the disciples answer him in verse 4, and they say, how can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Like, they're out in the sticks, man. They're in the desert. Uh, If if I could rephrase what he's saying right there, what what the disciples are saying, they're saying, we're we're in a desolate, like, this is no man's land. We got a Vons here. Like, where are we going to pick up bread? Where are we going to pick up food to feed these people? And he asks them, well, how many loaves do you have? They reply, seven. And it's out of that single word, seven that we see God's power being put on display. But notice that it started with doubt. It started with a little skepticism. If I were in the disciples' shoes at this point in their life, I might even be filled with a little bit of cynicism because sometimes you just don't have enough to keep going. And you might be in that place right now. You might have, maybe you filled that line out and you're like, I have identified the problem. This is what's killing me. This is what's dragging me down. This is why I'm burnt out. This is why I'm tired. But I can't do anything about it. And for you, that's your seven. You're like, this is all I got. How do we feed these people? And granted, towards the end, in verse nine, 
Mark will tell us there are 4,000 people here. This is meant to show you the desperate situation that the disciples are up against, against the backdrop of people's needs. Seven loaves might be enough for me. It's not enough for 4,000 people. And I wonder what that feeling was in, just in the heart of the disciples. We already know the feeling going through Jesus in his gut. It was compassion. I wonder what was going through the guts of the disciples as they hear Jesus say that. I wonder if it was just tremendous desperation as they looked at the backdrop of human need, even their own human need, and saw the resources available to them. Seven loaves! Well, that's ridiculous. Sometimes, like the disciples, you might feel like you're facing needs that look like 4,000, and you have the resources that look like seven loaves. Maybe today you're just not sure how to move forward in your life, how to move forward in your spirituality, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, maybe your relationship with the church, maybe your relationship with society or your friends. The disciples have a problem, but it gets worse, right? What we're seeing here is they don't have enough to fix the problem. They feel stuck. Brothers and sisters, maybe, maybe today you feel stuck too. Maybe for you, it's very similar to the crowd and the disciples, a tangible need. Maybe. You don't know how you're gonna pay the bills. Maybe your job isn't enough or maybe you just got fired from your job or let, let go. Or maybe it's not a tangible need, but maybe it's similar, uh, but it's like a spiritual need. Maybe you're longing for something and just not sure how you're gonna get there. Maybe you feel like there's more to life than what you've been living, but you're not sure how or what to do about it. Maybe you're empty inside, but not sure how to fill it. Maybe you're restless and angry and not sure how to fix it. And against the backdrop of the problems you face, just like the disciples and just like the crowd, maybe what you feel right now is overwhelming lack and scarcity. You ever have those moments where you wake up on a Monday or a Tuesday and you have a list of crazy things you've got to get done, but you're like just, just struggling to like put the toast in the oven, you know what I mean? Like step at a time. You ever feel that way? Against the backdrop of these huge problems you face, maybe what you feel right now is overwhelming lack. And here's my last point for the morning. God is able to multiply the little that you have. He's able to take your lack. He's able to take whatever it is that you came in th through these doors with, and he's able to multiply it. Verse 6, he directs the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he takes the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he breaks the bread, gives it to the disciples, and sets it before the people, and then sets them before the crowd. He even had some small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. 
Funny aside, the original word there for fish is a, sp a specific word for anchovies, so bread and anchovies. God can even use anchovies. Verse eight, and they ate, and they were satisfied. He took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. I want to pull out a, a couple things from this, this last part of the passage. One, Jesus takes what's available to him from you. I always thought it interesting that throughout these stories, Jesus could do pretty much anything he wants. Like if he wanted to throw down a ham sandwich from the sky, like he could. There's a passage in the book of Kings where Elijah is hungry and God sends the ravens to drop like pieces of filet on him or whatever it was, like steak. Like Jesus could do that. But he always uses what people have at their disposal. In the parallel story, it was that boy, right, with the loaves and the fish. He says, what do you have available? He takes what they have available. Here, he asks the disciples, what do you have to feed them with? Just seven loaves, Lord. I can use that. You know why I think that's so powerful? Because there have been multiple times in my life where I feel like I am unworthy to come before God, especially on a Sunday where I feel like I've got to be on. I got to be prayed up. I got to be read up. I got to be prepared and postured to come before God when God's main modus operandi is to come before people and say, What do you have available? How often do we come in prayer or worship or gatherings together expecting to give God something we think he thinks we should bring? When God's just like, what do you got? Some of you are like, all I've got is anger. I think Jesus is saying to you today, I could work with that. Some of you are like, I've got nothing left, actually. I think the Lord wants you to hear today, I can work with that. Some of you are like, I'm just a tired, broken mess. I think the Lord wants you to hear today, I can work with that. Some of you are saying, I'm just so busy, I just, I can't even make time for my friends and family, much less the Lord. I think God, in his mercy and grace, wants you to know, I can work with that. He takes what's available. I can work with that. I just want you to be made available. And then the next thing he does is he gives thanks for what the disciples originally perceive as lack. This is a posture of gratitude where I probably, I probably would have had a posture of scarcity. How many of us in this room are operating? We're moving into Monday morning from a posture of lack and scarcity where Jesus is absolutely the opposite. He's like, thank you, Father in heaven, for this bread. Or whatever it is that he said and, and, and responded to the Lord in prayer. His response is to take what's available and to give thanks for it. And then he gives it to the disciples to set before the people. And here is where the power of God is put on display. And everyone eats and is satisfied. I love this about, <laughs> I don't know if I love it or I'm just struck by it, but the gospel writer Mark, he's so understated with the miracles of Jesus, right? I just want to read you the section where I think the miracle happens, okay? It says, he broke the bread, 
gave them to the disciples to set before the people and then set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said that they could set them also before them. Verse eight, and they ate and were satisfied. It's like right in between there, a miracle happens. If I wrote this book, I would have made like a few extra verses to tout that. I'd been like, boom, and Jesus like just threw down from heaven and it was awesome. And Mark doesn't even mention it. We know a miracle happens because they ate and were satisfied, 4,000 people. Not only that, but in verse, uh, in verse 8, there's seven baskets full that are left over. This is a bonafide miracle, but it's understated. It's like he just glosses it over. Almost as though this is just an average day in the life of Jesus. And they ate and were satisfied. Average day in the life of Jesus. He's compassionate towards you. He's so full of compassion and love and sustenance towards you. It's so common in the life of Jesus to show himself in your life in that way that Mark doesn't see fit to mention the miraculous nature of it. It's just an average day in the life of your Lord. In fact, Jesus' compassion is extra. I love verse seven. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. They were already fine with the bread, but he's like, have some fish too. I love this about Jesus. You wanna know what compassion looks like? Compassion looks like Jesus sustaining worn out people with the little that they have left. And my word for you this morning is that if you're coming in here with a little left, you're in the right place. And it's not because of this building. And it's certainly not because of me. It's because you have a God who feels in his gut compassion towards you. And he doesn't just feel sympathy or pity towards you. He is a God who can multiply from your scarcity. And for the person who knows that kind of God and sees that kind of God locked up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's enough to turn your scarcity into abundance. Even when everything around you is scarce, even when your circumstances are dwindling, even when you are wondering where the bill money is going to come from, even when your relationships are struggling, even when you are hoping that you can pay for that rent this month, even when your friends leave you, even when you are abandoned, you can still be grounded in the sense that, yes, all of this is happening. All of my circumstances are changing, but this I know, God never changes, and he still feels compassion in his gut. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 23. I want to end with this verse. The author of Lamentations, by the way, wrote an entire book on grieving, which is maybe a strange concept for evangelicals. He just creates space to cry and to grieve. But in Lamentations chapter 3, we, we see where his hope comes from. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast when my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Friends, I want you to take this to the bank this morning. His compassions never fail. He feels it in his gut. They never fail. And they're new every morning. When you wake up on Monday morning, he's going to have a new set of compassion towards you in his gut. And it's not just sympathetic compassion. He's not just patting you on the back to say, there, there, buck up. He's a God who can move in your midst and in your life. He's a God who can take your seven loaves and multiply them before you. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what your circumstances are right now. I don't even know what your scarcity or lack or the little that you have going for you is. But this I know. God can take what you have right now and use it to draw you deeper into love with him. And he can sustain you. So the question I want you to ask as we transition into song is what do you have? And maybe this is a a moment for you to just be radically honest. In our response this morning, instead of Instead of doing what I've often done, let's give God what we actually have. Let's just be honest today, transparent, vulnerable. Give him what you have, not what you think he wants you to have. Maybe you're saying, I need to put a smile on my face. I need to shout really loud. I need to show everybody that I'm feeling it. Well, if you are, great. If you feel like kneeling on the carpets, if you feel like standing and raising your hands today, whatever it is, do it. But maybe you're broken and tired right now. That's okay, too. Maybe you're feeling disillusioned. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're disappointed. I want to invite you today to give that to Jesus Christ, who is more than capable of working miracles in the midst of what you perceive lack. Amen? I'm going to grab that guitar and I'm going to lead us in a couple songs. Some of them are old. Some of them are new. You might not know them. Uh, You might not even be able to hear me. That's okay. Jesus Christ is present in your midst and he promised that. The last thing I want to end with is When Jesus takes the bread and he feeds a crowd, this is actually also a precursor of another time that he would speak of bread as food for people. When he was practicing the Lord's Supper and he would take the bread and he would break it and he would hand it to his disciples and he would say, when you take of this bread, do this in remembrance of me because it speaks of my body and my body brings you life. And He was pointing towards that moment when he would die on the cross His body was beaten. His blood was shed. He would say that of the cup as well. And for thousands of years, for centuries, people like those disciples and people like us have been coming before Jesus with our perceived lack, taking of that bread, taking of that cup, and saying, yes, I lack this morning, Lord, but you are enough. So I'm just going to sing some songs with you today. 
if that's all right. Songs that remind us of that. And Paul says in Ephesians that we're not just singing songs to God. We are, but we're also singing in one way or another songs to each other, meaning we're strengthening one another with theology and with truth about God. And Let's just do that. For those of you that feel like taking the cup and the bread and reinforcing your faith in Christ, you're able to do that. If you need some prayer in your life, there's prayer teams in the back with lanyards. If you just want to kneel on your face and weep before the Lord, you, you can do that as well. Whatever you do, let's open up our heart with whatever's in there and allow the King of glory to enter in. He loves you.